0: But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and His love is made complete. In us. Hey, happy Mother's Day. I'm Rachel Short. I'm the pastor of Community Life here at Project 938. It is so good to be with you. Hey, if you are new and you have not hung around Project 938 for any length of time, then you may not know that we are a new church. We actually launched on Super Bowl Sunday, 2018, and some take credit for the Eagles winning the Super Bowl because we launched on that day. And because we're a new church, there was a lot that we were trying to figure out. And so we partnered with an organization called Stadia and Stadia helps uh, churches across the U.S. across the globe really get started and they provide resources and coaching and equipping and they have helped over 1,300 churches start and one of the things that they require of church planters or full-time staff is for them to go through assessment center and so about four years ago when Pastor Mark was talking to me about what it would look like for me to leave my job and come on board with Project 938 and start church planting, he had just slipped in there in the interview process that I would have to go to something called Assessment Center. And anyone who knows me well knows that I really like to be prepared for things. And one of the things about Assessment Center that they tell you is that what happens at Assessment Center stays at Assessment Center and so Mark was not able to tell me anything that I was going to expect um, from that time and so So I end up going and it's four days and managed to get through it. But one of the things that they do is they have this kind of simulation process that happens. And so they give you these different experiences of what you might face as a church planter, as someone who is in ministry. And so you'll have a specific experience that will happen. And then they'll debrief things that you did well or things that you can improve on. And so I managed to get through the four Four days and pass or I wouldn't be here today but I got through it and there's a lot of constructive feedback that I received through those four days that I will never forget but one piece of feedback was particularly transformative and it was at the end of those four days and one of my assessors um, was a man named Justin Moxley and we actually heard Justin speak at 938 online just several weeks ago And um, he has a big personality and a strong presence. And he's one of those men that he is just a straight shooter. And so he will tell it to you straight, but he'll also give you a big bear hug afterwards. And so at the end of my four days, um, Justin pulled me aside and he said, in a really serious tone Rachel, I want you to have people praying for you every day. And I was like, okay, yes sir, okay. And uh, so anyway, we'd say goodbye and I walk away and I was like 50 yards away and he goes, every day, Rachel, every day. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, it was like one of those scenes from Remember the Titans where like Denzel Washington is like yelling something to one of the Titan players. And it was just this like really special moment and something that I go back to often of every day, someone praying for you every day. Like Pastor Mark mentioned, we are kicking off a new series today called One Another. And we're looking at these different scripture verses in the New Testament that describe the community that Jesus is seeking to build. And it's not a community that's reflective of us versus them. It's a community that is meant to be for one another. It's meant to be um, a community that seeks to love one another, to honor one another to forgive one another and these are daily practices that writers of the New Testament that Jesus tells us that we are meant to practice every day and today's one another verse is something that I think if we get it right if we seek to submit to it if we seek to practice it then we will see relationships we will see families we will see communities transformed and that one another verse that one another truth is to encourage one another If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is a book in the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews, um, in chapter 3, he says, starting in verse 13, he says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, the book of Hebrews is written to a group of Jewish Christians, and these were Christians who had grown up following the Mosaic law, following the teachings of Jesus. And earlier in chapter 3, um, the writer is talking about how there is someone who is greater than moses um chapter three verse three says he says jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than moses just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself So essentially the writer of Hebrews is telling these group of Jewish Christians, hey, um, it's awesome that you follow Moses. That's a good thing to do, but there is someone who is greater than Moses. There is someone who is a builder, who is the builder of the house and that's Jesus. And so when we get to verse 13, he's encouraging these groups of Jewish Christians that hey, they aren't meant to wander in the faith that he's encouraging them that they are meant to encourage one another encourage one another daily but in order to understand what it looks like for us to encourage one another daily there's two things two principles that we must understand about encouragement and about this verse the first is discernment is victorious over deceit discernment is victorious over deceit. Now, the verse is talking about encouragement that encourage one another daily. And then it goes on to say so that none of you may be hardened by sins, deceitfulness. Now, deceit is the misrepresentation of truth. It's um the root of every sin is unbelief. It's believing that my way is better than God's way. And to be honest, you know, we give um Satan a lot of credit when it comes to deceit you know he is known as the great deceiver but we miss that we too often deceive ourselves there is an article there was an article that was written in psychology today by um, dr heshmat and he is a university of illinois professor and he talks about the reasons why we lie to ourselves and he gives these five reasons why we lie. Um, the first one is is that ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss. We don't want to know the things that demotivate us. So, for example, you know, counting calories is actually pretty effective when it comes to maintaining weight or losing weight. But it's like, who wants to do that? Right? I mean, I was at Cheesecake Factory on Sunday and like, you know, I try to monitor what I eat, but then you look at the menu and you see the calories and there's nothing like less than 1300 calories there. And I'm like, you know. Ignorance is bliss, right? You know, maybe we shouldn't count calories, but, um, or, or another reason that Dr. Hishmat mentions that we lie to ourselves is reality denial. We deny what is really happening, and I don't have to go through all of the ways that we deny the things that happen around us, whether it's, you know, denying that um, someone is sick or not wanting to admit that we have some sort of codependency problem or not wanting to admit that someone we love is struggling, that we deny that reality. Um, or another reason that we lie to ourselves is overconfidence, right? 90% of people say that they are above average drivers, but AAA came out with a study that, um, 90% of accidents are caused by human error, right? I am one of those overconfident drivers. (laughs) Another reason that we lie to ourselves is self-handicapping so we don't want to know our true ability, how good we actually are, uh, because we're afraid we're not as good as we think that we may be, and sometimes that can limit our potential. Sometimes that can prevent us from even trying because, um, or even showing our skill set to other people in ways that we can improve, because we don't want to know where we truly are skill-wise or talent-wise or intellectually self-handicapping. And finally, a reason that we often lie to ourselves is that we really like to be seen to others in a positive light. That's why oftentimes when we do something good or something great happens, we post it on social media because we crave the comments, we crave the likes, we crave the words of affirmation. We often deceive ourselves, but in order to be discerning instead of deceiving, we have to understand where discernment comes from, that discernment comes from the Holy Spirit. Deceit, if deceit is a misrepresentation of truth, then discernment comes, discernment is the ability to see the truth in the midst of that which is deceptive. Discernment is the ability to see the truth in the midst of that which is deceptive. A mentor of mine who I love and I always seek her counsel, I'll oftentimes call her and say, Hey, what do you think about this? Or what do you think I should do about that? And nine times out of ten, she always says to me, Let me talk to God about that. You know, let me talk to God about that. And sometimes I'm just like, oh, Joanne, just tell me what you think. You know, Um, but but she understood. She understands that discernment comes from above. Discernment doesn't come from our own feelings. It doesn't come from the latest research. It doesn't come from the latest political ideology. Discernment comes from above. And if we don't lean in towards one another, we deceive ourselves. And Hebrews tells us that our hearts start to become hardened. And, and, and here we are meant to seek the voice of the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes the voice of the Holy Spirit looks a lot or sounds a lot like the voice of the Holy Spirit in one of our friends. And someone who's saying, hey, I don't know if I would go down that road. I don't know if I would do that or let me pray about that, or what does God's word say about that, or let's talk to God about that. Discernment is victorious over deceit. The second principle we must understand from this scripture to live a life of daily encouragement is that Encouragement is meant to sharpen the person, not flatter the heart encouragement is meant to sharpen the person not flatter the heart now I am a words of affirmation person if anyone is familiar with dr. Gary Chapman and all of his research and the the book the five love languages then you know that there are ways that each one of us give and receive love and I receive love through words of affirmation and oftentimes when we think of encouragement I know I think of those words those words of affirmation But what's interesting is the word encouragement here in Hebrews 3.13 comes from the Greek word parakaleo. And parakaleo means to persuade or to exhort or to beseech or even to call out in someone. Now, um, oftentimes when we say the phrase call out, we think of like a negative thing, like, ooh, Pastor Mark just got called out, you know? But the kind of encouragement that the writer of Hebrews is saying here is, is talking about appealing to someone's will in such a way that they are inspired to follow Christ. There is a woman in the Old Testament who i believe models this truth models this encouragement better than almost anyone and that's naomi and if you have never read the book of ruth it's just four chapters it's in the old testament and it's incredible story and i wish we could do a whole series on the book of ruth Um, but there are three ways that naomi encourages her daughter-in-law ruth the first way is that she empathizes with Ruth's situation. So for context, naomi is ruth's mother-in-law and naomi and her husband had two sons and they are from bethlehem but bethlehem underwent a famine and so they ended up moving to the city of moab and um there's two sons married to moabite women one was ruth and one was orpah and tragically naomi lost her husband and then about 10 years later Both daughters-in-laws lose their husbands, Naomi's two sons okay and so naomi in 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 this time frame in this jewish tradition for a woman to lose her husband it was like losing everything it was like losing her livelihood and so naomi makes the decision that she is going to go back to her hometown um, things had started to get better their food was there and so she said she tells her daughters-in-law that hey moab has nothing to offer me here i'm going to go back And her daughters-in-law start to follow her and she says to them, hey, I am too old for you to follow me. Even if I get married tonight and then give birth to sons, do you want to wait for them to grow up to marry you one day? And so we see that Naomi empathizes with her daughters in laws situation. She empathizes with Ruth's situation. And even though Naomi's situation is so devastating, um, some may even say even more devastating than her daughters in law she does doesn't want them to be ignorant of the future, what their future could look like. And oftentimes I think when we seek to encourage someone else, we miss their specific situation. But Naomi models that empathy is a prerequisite to encouragement. In order to encourage someone, we have to understand truly where they're coming from. The second way that we see Naomi sharpen Ruth is that she allows her to come to her own decision. She allows her to come to her own decision. So after Naomi, essentially says, hey, look, Ruth, I'm a widow. So Ruth has decided, hey, I know Orpa, one of the daughters-in-law says, you know what, uh, Naomi, I don't think I'm going to follow you actually. Like, I'm, you know, I'm just going to stay here. I'll go back home. It's totally fine. But Ruth stays with Naomi and Naomi, Naomi says to her, look, Ruth, I'm a widow. You're a widow. Okay, there is this is not going to end well for you. Fo- follow your sister-in-law and go back home. But Ruth turns to Naomi and she says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And then it says in chapter one, verse 18, it says, Naomi stopped urging her. Naomi didn't force Ruth to leave. She didn't rebuke her. She didn't make the decision for her. She let God be God, and she let his will play out. Who in your life do you need to allow to make their own decision? Allowing someone else to make their own decision can be one of the hardest things to do because we think we know what's best for them. But Naomi understood that God cared more about Ruth than she ever could. He had a plan that Naomi couldn't see. God is at work in ways that you and I can't see in the people we love. The prophet Isaiah speaking for God says in Isaiah 55 9 as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We're meant to let God be God. The third way that we see Naomi sharpen Ruth is that she affirms her value. She affirms her value. She gives her a job and she envisions her future. When Naomi and Ruth needed food, Ruth comes to Naomi and says, hey, let me go glean in the fields. She says, let me go to the fields and pick up leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi says, go, go ahead. So it just so happened to be that Ruth started gleaning in the fields of Boaz. And Boaz was a man of noble character and he was one of Naomi's kinsmen redeemers. Now a kinsman redeemer is a family redeemer who would marry the widow after a man in the family died and he would take up the land and the wife. So, So Naomi finds out that Ruth has been gleaning in one of Boaz's fields and she is thrilled because Boaz is such a man of noble character. And, she ta- and he takes notice of Ruth. And so Naomi tells Ruth, she says, Hey, go to the threshing floor tonight and lay at his feet and uncover his feet. Now, this is the part of the story where you're thinking, wow, that is like a really promiscuous marriage proposal, okay, but that's not at all what Naomi is telling her to do. She is telling her to put herself out there. She is telling her to essentially have this marriage proposal, but it is not in any way the cultural symbolism that we would think of today. It's a kind of symbolism that is not scandalous it's a kind of symbolism because we have to understand the threshing floor so threshing is an essential step in the yearly grain harvest so workers participated in a really involved process to prep cereal and kernels for the harvest and so threshing was so much a part of the process for producing food that when people thought of the threshing floor they saw it as symbolic for god's provision symbolic for god's provision and so oftentimes People, their families, would sleep at the threshing floor to make sure no theft would happen. And so Naomi is telling Ruth, hey, go, go get God's provision. You are worthy of protection. And because of Naomi, because of how Naomi affirms Ruth's value, she has the courage to take the necessary steps for Boaz to become her kinsman redeemer. Our words have power. They have a power to give people courage to take steps of faith. They're not meant to simply flatter. They are meant to call out the best in people. Do you recognize the value in your words? Your words have value. I grew up in a house with two big men okay my dad has a big personality and my brother is just big okay and so I grew up in this context with these you know big personality and big men and um, before I knew it I started to feel small and it wasn't small in stature but small in significance And this wasn't because of anything that they said or they did, but it was the context, it was the story that I began to tell myself. And suddenly, I started to believe that my words didn't have meaning. And there was one day when I was about 16, That uh, my dad had kind of had a pretty discouraging day. And I was just kind of being insensitive to it. I wasn't really encouraging him. I was just kind of going off to myself and um, just probably saying things I shouldn't say. And um, suddenly, uh, my mom pulled me aside and she said, "Uh, Rachel, when you say something, your dad really listens. Like your words have power and you know we live um, in a world right now where we don't we minimize the power in our words we minimize the power that God has given us in our words, in our words. And ladies, if I could just speak to you for a second, we live in a world right now that is pitting women against men and it's pitting women against other women. But we have words that have power. We have words like Naomi that have the power to lift, the power to encourage, the power to call out the best in our brothers in Christ, the power to call out the best in our, kids. The power to call out the best in those we love. Your words have power. You have the ability to affirm value in people. How are you using your words? How are you using your words to sharpen one another? Today is Mother's Day and it is a celebratory day for some and it is a somber day for others. How can we use our words to encourage? How can we use our words to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep? Our words have power. And watch this, our words have a power to begin a legacy. Naomi's words pointed Ruth towards her kinsman redeemer. And though Boaz, and through Boaz's marriage to Ruth, they gave birth to Obed. And watch this, Obed was the grandfather of King David. And watch this, who was the direct lineage of the Messiah, Jesus, our true redeemer. Our words have power, just like there was someone greater than Moses. There was someone greater than Boaz. There was a true redeemer and that's Jesus. And God can use whatever means possible to accomplish his will. Can we submit to encourage one another? Can we submit to encourage one another daily? Let's be those people. Let's be those men and women who encourage one another. Let's pray. Father, um, you are the one who instills courage in us, who instills the ability to call out the best in other people because you sent your son God, to die for us so that we might have a relationship with you, so that we might have the ability to have a true redeemer. And God, in this world, um, this world seeks to tear down, God, but we want to be a people who build up. We want to be a people who encourage one another daily. God, help us do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.